thank you for listening to another Hastings NAS podcast. We are so pleased that you have shown interest in listening to this podcast, and we pray that it is edifying and beneficial for you. You can watch us live every Sunday morning on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hastings NAS. And if you are so inclined, you can support the ministries of the church by going to HastingsNAS.org slash give. Hope you enjoy this sermon. Grace and peace. Dismissed at this time, and I want to invite the church to stand for our gospel reading, which comes from Mark chapter 13. Would you stand for the gospel reading today? This is uh, Jesus uh, with an interaction with his disciples. As he, that is Jesus, came came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings? Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he, that is Jesus, was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to, take, are about to be accomplished? And Jesus said to them, Beware! that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is the written word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Did you mean it when you just responded just now? Did you mean that? Or was that just a rote ritual? This is the written word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, we're going to say thanks be to God to that. Does that sound familiar to anyone? The text we just read from Mark 13. Does that sound like, oh, I I understand what Jesus is saying there. Like, it's not every week that the scriptures feel like they're describing current day events, right? It's not every time we read the scriptures that we feel like, oh, this is describing what I'm going through right now in my life. This is what we are doing right now. But Jesus could have been standing in this room saying this to you and to me today, right? There will be wars and rumors of wars. Check. Nation will rise against nation. Check. Kingdom against kingdom? Check. Earthquakes and climate disaster? Check. Famines? Again, come on. What in this list do we not recognize? Church, this is the good news of God for the people of God. Amen? Oh my goodness. How on earth is this good news? How is this good news? In what world can we respond as we did today? This is the written word of God. Thanks be to God for the wars and the rumors of the wars, for the nations against nations and the famines and the earthquakes. Thanks be to God. How is this good news for the disciples of Jesus Christ? And how are we not to be overwhelmed by all of this? Because the truth is, friends, many of us are overwhelmed by a lot of this. For many of us, we are so deeply invested in what's happening. We are, so, uh, we are so concerned about the wars and the rumors of wars, about the climate crises that exist. Just this last week, the United States warned the European Union to prepare for a Russian invasion of, of Ukraine. Many of us are fearful of the catastrophes. And I know that's true because I've had conversations with you about it. 
I know that's true because many of you have shared with me about your concerns over the calamity of the world. Some of us are just so stinking fatigued by the perpetual wars. Can we not go to war for a little bit? Some of us are utterly terrified of the changing climate and the world that we're leaving for our future generations. There's a climate migration happening. I got a friend who's a pastor in Boise, Idaho, and, and he said California's moving to Idaho. And Idaho doesn't really like that all of California's moving there, but they are. How can this pronouncement of Jesus Christ to his disciples about wars and nations against nations and earthquakes and famine, how can that be good news? That is the question we have to grapple with today. And it is no small task for me to try to articulate that to you today. So I want to ask you, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? That is, what is, what is it that you focus on? Through what lens do you perceive this world? Through what lens are you looking? At another time, Jesus told his disciples to be aware of what they're looking for. In Matthew 7, during his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his disciples that what they ask for, they're going to get. What they look for, they're going to see. And where they knock, the door will be opened, right? Ask, seek, and knock. We know this passage from Matthew 7. Now, one of the things I think is important here is that Jesus is not saying that he's some divine genie, right? That's going to grant you whatever your wishes are. That's not what Jesus is saying there. He's saying, be careful what you're looking at. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful on which doors you knock because you might just get it. I remember uh, a childhood friend of mine uh, her mom used to always say, you're cruising for a bruising. She said that to me frequently. I don't know why. But what she meant was, hey man, you're looking for trouble. You're looking for trouble. If you look for trouble, guess what? You might just find it. If you're looking for a reason to leave, you can find that pretty easily. ask, and guess what? You're going to get it. Careful what you ask for. If you're looking for it, you might just actually see it. But maybe it's also true than the inverse that maybe if you're looking for grace, if you're looking for grace, you'll see it. Maybe if you're asking for peace, then it will be found. And maybe if you're knocking on the door of justice, it might just open. What are you looking for? This is an important question throughout the New Testament. I wonder how much of our attention is focused on great things. On big things. On things that are grand. Well, that was a big offering. Woo! Man, that's a big church. Man, can you believe how big that church is? Wow. That music was just spectacular. Have you guys ever been to Washington, D.C.? Anybody been to D.C.? You go around, you walk around, you look at the monuments, you look at the, the, the massive structures. I, I mean, I remember feeling amazed at the Lincoln Memorial. When I went to the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., I could have stayed there forever. Like, it was amazing. 
not only was it massive, it was, it was incredible. Like the architecture, the pillars, and then this like, I mean, the Lincoln is huge. It's marvelous. And this is what the disciples did in the story that we read today from Mark 13, right? What's interesting is how many great things are listed in these eight verses. There's, there's so many things, a whole lot of great things in these eight verses. And it begins with, the, with one of the disciples saying to Jesus, man, look at this thing. Look at this place. Look at the pillars. This temple is incredible. And it wasn't even completed at the time in which Jesus was there with his disciples. It was under construction. Look at this building. It's marvelous. It's great. And then on the Mount of Olives, a few of his disciples say, hey, Jesus, tell us when these great things are going to take place. We want to know. Can we be on the inside here? Can you give us a clue? Like, we don't want to be left out of this great thing you're doing. And Jesus says that many will come in his name claiming to be great. People are going to claim greatness. And then he goes on to describe great calamity, right? Wars and conspiracies, climate disaster and human deprivation. These great things. Speaking of conspiracies, a verse that's been real important to me for the last... 20 months or so, if you can read into that time frame, is from Isaiah 8, 12. Speaking of conspiracies, and I think that's partly what Jesus is saying when he's talking about rumors of wars. Isaiah 8, 12 says, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what it fears, or be in dread. Church, I think we love to focus on great things. One of the largest churches in in the United States has something called the Global Leadership Summit. And they bring in some of the world's biggest CEOs, some of the best athletic superstars, and this is a church-run function to be great. How can you be a great leader? Do you know how often Jesus talks about leadership in the New Testament? Do you know how often Paul talks about it in the New Testament? I'll give you a challenge. To compare how many times Jesus says to be a leader versus how many times to be, he says to be a servant. Go through the New Testament. That'll be a fun little test for you. We love to focus on big things. We want to be a part of something great, don't we? But it's almost as if, it's almost as if in these verses, Jesus says that the great things are not the things on which we should focus. It's almost like Jesus is saying the great things are a distraction. He said to not be led astray. He told his disciples, do not be led astray. What if we were led astray by focusing our life and our attention and our energy and our resources and our sight on things that were great? What if greatness was leading us astray from the things that matter most? What if greatness was not the thing on which we should focus, but was actually deterring Christians from their first love? As Mother Teresa said, we can do no great things, only small things, with great love. Maybe this passage is a call to shift our focus. What if this is how this is good news? And what if I told you that this passage from Mark 13, verses 1 through 8, that that many scholars call the mini-apocalypse, what if I told you that this was good news because... I hate to break it to you, it's not up to you. 
What if that's the good news? If Jesus is right that wars and rumors of wars, that earthquakes and famine are the birth pangs, maybe it's out of your control. Jesus uses this image of birth pangs, and I think it's very appropriate, or contractions. So those who are mothers here, let me ask you a question. How many of you got to pick when you were going to give birth? How many of you said, you know what, I don't have any meetings on Tuesday. I got to go to Costco. Oh, maybe I'll do it on Wednesday. Uh, let, me get, let me flip through my calendar a little bit. I got to see when I can have this baby. Sure, with, with modern medicine, sometimes we can schedule a C-section or we can schedule an induction. That is an incredible blessing. But if we didn't have that, who could choose when baby was coming? I mean, not one of you. The baby came when the baby decided it was time to come. The baby came when the baby could no longer dwell there. She just came out. And you're not going to stop it. And all of the mothers laughed. This new life, this small being, this little dependent just little blob of life and beauty and goodness determines what happens. Not the mother and definitely not the father. When Millie was born, Kayla woke up in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. She woke up at 2 a.m. and she woke me up and she said, I think my water broke. Two weeks early. Is that funny, huh? We had absolutely zero say when Millie was going to be arriving. And once we were in delivery, I say we as if I did anything. Once Kayla was uh, in delivery, what are mothers told to focus on? When you're in the midst of that violent, violent circumstance, what are mothers told to focus their attention on? And how are fathers told to encourage the woman who is just in so much pain, does the delivering woman focus on the pain? Focus on how much your body hurts right now. That's good wisdom to a birthing mother, right? Pay attention to how much pain you're in right now. Does she focus on the ripping apart of her body? You have just felt your body rip apart. You should focus on that. Friends, delivery is traumatic. Does she focus on the blood? I remember after Millie was born, there was a moment, there was a moment when all the doctors and nurses had left, and some of you know we had complications during delivery, and there was a moment when I couldn't handle the blood on the floor. They hadn't cleaned it up yet. So I went and grabbed some towels, and I just, I had to get it out of the room. No, what does a mother focus on while she's delivering? I heard somebody say it already. Breathing. You focus on your breath. Does that mean you ignore the trauma that's taking place? Birthing women, I dare you to ignore it. You can't. It's there. It's real, right? But you give your attention, you give your focus, not to the trauma, not to the pain, but she gives her attention to that which she can control. Her breathing and her body, her muscles, her pushing. 
her relaxing. She can't control when that baby's going to come. That's for sure. The baby is coming no matter what. And it is going to be painful and it's going to be difficult. But in the midst of all of that, she focuses on her breath. She focuses on her strength. Church, in this passage, Jesus tells his disciples that many will come claiming, I am he. I'm he. And I don't like that translation that we read from the New Revised Standard today because in Greek, it's only two words, ego, emi. And I've talked about this before, I'm sure. These two words together are important because grammatically, they don't really make sense. In Greek, it doesn't make sense. Ego, emi. It's like saying, I, I am. That's what ego, ego, emi means in a direct translation. I, I am. Egoemi is the Greek translation of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, when Moses asks God who this God is, what does God say God's name is? I am the I am. And in Greek, Egoemi. Many will come in my name saying, I am the I am. Look how great I am. And I may have shared this before, but it bears repeating because it's so important. There is a rabbinic tradition, there is a tradition among Jewish rabbis that the Hebrew name for God, Jehovah, or as we Christians call it, Yahweh, was more than just a title. There are four letters in this name. In English, it's Y-H-W-H. And if you're reading any Christian scholarship and they talk about Yahweh, they don't write out Y-A-W-H-E-W, they write out Y-H-W-H. Yahweh. Four letters in the name, and the four letters are Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. I dare you to say that name without using a lot of breath. When the name is spoken, when the name of God is spelled out and spoken, it's very breathy, and it actually mimics one's breathing. Yod, inhale, Hey. Exhale. Vav. Inhale. Hey. Exhale. Yod. Hey. Vav. Hey. Mirrors the breathing. In and out. Inhale. Exhale. Jehovah. Yahweh. God is called I am the I am because God is existence itself. God is life. Now we can go a few days without food or water, right? But we can only go a few minutes without breath. We can't go long without breath because God is our breath. God is life. And without God, there is no life. Like a woman experiencing birth pangs, like a woman experiencing contractions, she focuses not on the calamity affecting her body, but she focuses on her life. Her breathing in, her breathing out. And when appropriate, she focuses on her strength. She focuses on her muscles and she, she bites down and she pushes and breathes again. So too, church, could it be with us? Is there calamity around us? Well, sure. 
Are there wars happening? I mean, it's almost as if we don't know how to not go to war. Are there rumors of wars? Are there conspiracies? When aren't they? What is the good news for the people of Christ for us today? Well, for one, for one, I hope that we can be reminded that evil times are not end times. As Jesus said, these evil times are merely the beginning, but this is not the end, he says. You will experience these things, but that's not the end. These are merely the beginning of something new. And what is that new thing that is being birthed? What is it but the new creation? The fullness of God's kingdom. Would you believe that? Would you believe that we can have hope in the midst of the calamity of the world around us? Because we can have hope in the midst of wars and rumors of wars and crises? Maybe because that's just a part of the birthing process. What if this is part of the process through which God is making something new? tell you what, when you hold your kid for the first time, this new creation, this new life, you cannot help but recognize how awesome she is. But we are not there yet. We find ourselves in the midst of calamity and crisis and sorrow and grief. Like a mother, like a laboring mother, what do we do? Focus on your breath. Focus on your strength. That is, focus on the one who is our breath. Give your attention to the one who is our strength, the I am. Yod, hey, va, hey. Fix your eyes on the author of life. That doesn't mean we ignore the calamity like a laboring mother. There's no way we can. There's no way we can, but like a laboring mother, we also don't have to give it all of our faculties. We don't have to give it all of our attention and all of our focus. So focus, church, what are you looking for? How are you looking at this world? Are you fixing your eyes on the one who gives life? Are you paying attention to the one who's bringing forth a new creation? Would you believe me if I told you that a new creation is coming? How are you seeing? On what, or better yet, on whom are you focusing your attention and your affection? Are you stuck stuck looking up at the great things? the great structures and the great systems, the great wars and the great famines, the great calamities. I mean, that's easy to do. Just open your Facebook app. It's there. It'll be there. Turn on your cable news. It'll it'll be there, I promise you. Or will we focus our life, our energy, our attention, our affection on the small, the typical The ordinary ways that the author of life is breathing us in and breathing us out. Focus on your breath, church. On Christ. On the I am. Because these evil times are not end times. 
we are but the beginning of God's good new creation. together turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light his glory and grace. This is the good news of God for the people of God. Amen. Church, we're going to move to the table. Um, and we introduced this last Sunday for the first time and maybe felt a little awkward, but I hope that it won't be too awkward. But we've moved our passing of the peace from the beginning of the service to before the table. And the reason for that is, is because we are told in the scriptures that we come to the table, and when we come to the table, make sure there's nothing between our brothers, our sisters, and us. So the passing of the peace is an opportunity to make peace with one another. Plus, there's also the fact that you guys have been sitting for a while, and it might be helpful to get your blood flowing a little bit. But we're going to pass the peace of Christ to one another. And I want to encourage you to greet one another with the peace of Christ as COVID-friendly as you want to and are comfortable with. But I want to encourage you to greet someone with the peace of Christ. Extend peace to them and receive peace from one another. Let's take a few moments uh, before we come to the table and let's share the peace of Christ with one another.